So for today's sermon, we're actually going to be finishing off our series. You may remember we've been in this series really just focusing on messages as I sort of feel the Holy Spirit has been leading me to, to preach on various topics. It's not like we've been doing a sermon series on, you know, a certain book of the Bible or a specific topic, but, but really just sort of I've been really prayerfully uh, preparing sermons and saying, Holy Spirit, what, what do you want me to preach on? What, what do we need to hear as a church? And so that's sort of what this series has been, whatever the Holy Spirit sort of lays on my heart's heart to say, that's what we're going to talk about. That's what I'm going to be preaching on. And so we've been doing that for, for a while now, and we're actually going to finish up that series today, and then tomorrow we'll start a, a new sermon series. And today what we're going to be talking about and what the Holy Spirit was really laying on my heart is the matter of discipleship. Uh, and, and this is something that before we even dive in, we're going to look at Christ and, and his example, certainly. And what does discipleship look like? What does it look like to really disciple someone or to be discipled? Uh, what is sort of the biblical model? What, what does Christ model for us and exemplify in regard to what it really looks like uh, to disciple someone? What is this discipling process like? What does it look like? Uh, but before we even go there and turn to Scripture, I want to sort of uh, take a look at discipleship in the church today, and, and I'm sort of going to be speaking for really the American church, kind of the Western church. I can't speak as well for the church in, in other places, but, but to kind of look at the American church and say, what does discipleship in the American church tend to look like? What does it usually entail? And I think, you know, th this is a, sort of a generalization. Certainly there are churches that are exceptions, and it's not like this is every single church uh, precisely exactly. But I'd say, generally speaking, what discipleship tends to look like in the American church is, is sort of a couple things. I'd say one of the elements or aspects is typically some sort of series of classes. Uh, you go to a church, and there might even be an associate pastor who's the discipleship pastor, and, and sort of he heads up discipleship within the church. Uh, and, and one of the things that you'll typically see for a lot of churches is, well, there's some sort of series, uh, some sort of program of classes. Maybe it starts with sort of, you know, core aspects of the faith, elements of the faith, some sort of uh, new to the faith, beginner's course, you know, maybe it's some sort of six-part, you know, six-hour-long classes that you can take and learn more about the faith and some of the basics and sort of mature a little bit through that class. Uh, then maybe there's some sort of next steps course that follows up on the heels of that first one. Uh, and then maybe there's even another one after that. There's some sort of program of classes that's a typical aspect of sort of American church discipleship. I'd say another element of discipleship in the American church tends to be small groups. Uh, again, if you have a discipleship pastor, probably small groups is under that, and, and the idea is sort of this is where discipleship is going to take place in the church, in these small groups. Uh, and so I'd say that tends to be the picture of, of sort of discipleship, these classes in these small group Bible studies uh, where you have these small groups and they look at God's Word and, and, and talk about it and learn uh, through that. Uh, I'd also say sort of a part of discipleship in the church would also be encouraging people sort of on their own, hoping that they'll actually do it. doesn't mean that there's real follow-up with regard to this, but also encouraging people to just sort of regularly, daily be in their Bibles, reading God's Word. Uh, and I'd say that's sort of the picture of discipleship in the church, uh, encouraging people to be in the Bible on their own, in their own time. Uh, sort of uh, some sort of series of classes to, to kind of educate people and grow them in the faith a bit, and small groups. That's sort of discipleship. Again, there are, there are exceptions, uh, I, but I'm sort of giving a generalization. Uh, and, and I'm certainly not going to say that those are bad things, but I want to say, well, is that sort of the picture of discipleship 
that we see in Scripture. If we look at Jesus and look at him and, and what he models for what it is to disciple, uh, to mature people in the faith, as we look at his example, and he had disciples, you think of whether it's the 12 or, or sort of the 70 or 72, uh, and certainly there were others who, who followed him, right? What do we see in regard to his example of, of discipling? What does this look like? Is it a series of sort of, you know, classes, sort of a beginner's class and next step and, and something else? Uh, is it just sort of we'll meet once a week and we'll have this small group Bible study and do that or, or just sort of telling them, you know, read God's word from time to time, you know, do that sort of thing on your own. Is that is that the biblical model for discipleship? And what I'm going to say is it's not. Not that those things are bad, but I would say that those things should be add-ons to what is a biblical model of discipleship. Just to have some classes, to have small groups is not intrinsically in and of itself biblical discipleship, but those are good add-ons. But what I want to do now is dive into Scripture and say, so what is biblical discipleship? What does it look like? Jesus sets the perfect example. He has, think of in particular the 12 disciples, and he disciples them. Well, what does he do? Let's follow our master's example and say, well, what is the pattern he has set for us in regard to discipleship? And then we ought to follow that example that he has set for us. So that's what we're going to do, and we're going to look at a bunch of scriptures. If you got your bulletin there, you can even look and see all those scriptures and maybe be like marking them in your Bible so you're ready to turn there. Uh, I want to start here with actually the Great Commission. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And probably most people would be thinking, is this discipleship we're talking about at this point, or is this evangelism? Uh, generally, you think of the Great Commission, you think of, oh, that, that's, we always use that passage for evangelism. That's sort of the main sort of use of that passage if you think think of when, when a pastor's preaching on the Great Commission, expect it to be about evangelism. And there's certainly good reason for that, but I'd say it's also about discipleship. And let me read this passage for us. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, speaking to the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, so Jesus here gives his disciples this great commission, right? This, this great commission, that's why we call it the great commission, sort of these, these uh, rather final parting words in this mission that he is giving to them. It, it's it's Jesus' own mission, but he invites them into this mission, and he gives them this great commission. And what does he say? Go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, well, what does this disciple-making entail? Well, it entails evangelism. That's part of it, and, and that's sort of the first part that he highlights, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The emphasis there is, well, you need to go out into the world, and in order to make disciples, you got to go and preach the gospel. You have to evangelize, and as they come to faith, of course, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, as he says. So there's evangelism that's part of this great commission uh, that the disciples, and not just the disciples, but we are invited into this great commission, and it's a commissioning, a great commission for us as well. Yes, evangelism is a part of it, but then we read on, and it says also, this is verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
right? This is the discipleship side of the Great Commission. It's not just the evangelism. That tends to be emphasized, and certainly evangelism is present here. But in the Great Commission, what Jesus is telling the disciples is, hey, I want you to go out into the world and make mature, faithful disciples of all nations. And what does that mean? Well, that's going to mean evangelization, right? Evangelism is going to be a part of that. You've got to go out into the world and preach the gospel, reach people for the kingdom. But it doesn't end there. Then you need to be discipling them, right? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And he closes with, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so, first of all, I want to establish here the importance of discipleship. Before we even go and talk about Jesus and the example that he sets for us, we see here the great importance of discipleship. Again, we have sort of these parting words of Jesus, this final great commission. Hey, disciples, this is what I am. I am giving you as a task, as a mission to do. It's, it's Jesus' own mission, but he says, I'm going to invite you into this to have a share in it, and here's the mission. Yes, to go and do evangelism, but also to disciple, to go and make mature, faithful disciples of Christ, which means, yes, evangelism, reaching them with the gospel message, but then teaching them as well, training them, right, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's that discipleship that's also at the core of this great commission. And so it is so important. This great commission that we have been given involves discipleship. And so we need to take it seriously and say this needs to be a, a priority in, in Christ's church, that, that not just evangelism, that does that need to take place, but also discipleship. And so then we want to say, well, what, what does this look like, right? We see the importance here, and so now what does this look like? We've sort of said the way the American church is doing this, maybe not so much the biblical view of what discipleship should look like, but so now let's turn to Scripture itself and, and to Jesus and say, well, what is the example he sets for us, right? He discipled. He discipled the disciples. He discipled others as well. But at the core, we think of the 12, the 12 disciples. And what is the example that we see there, right? What is Jesus' own pattern of discipleship that then we should be following in, following his example, his pattern? And I want to highlight certain elements of discipleship as modeled by Christ. This isn't going to be like all exhaustive, and I'm going to touch upon every element that you could possibly speak of in regard to discipleship and, and what Jesus has modeled. I'm just sort of highlighting certain points. I can't do it all in one sermon. Uh, but one thing that is certainly at the heart of real, faithful, biblical discipleship as modeled by Christ is the idea of association. He spent time with his disciples. He lived life with them. Discipleship wasn't something that was just, it, it took place in a classroom that was scheduled once a week at this time. Again, I'm not saying that classes can't be okay and beneficial and a nice add-on, but, but that doesn't make up, you know, it's not like classes in and of itself is discipleship, right? But rather, discipleship is, is something that involves a profound, significant association. It's just sort of life on life, engaging in life together, this profound association. It, and we see this, even before turning to specific scriptures, which we will, just sort of off the top of your head, if you just sort of think through reading the Gospels, it's like wherever Jesus goes, there are the disciples. They're right there with him, following him wherever he goes, living life together. And so what happens in these situations is if you're just living life together as this discipling is taking place, then, then the teaching, it's not just at scheduled times as you gather in a classroom, but as just sort of real life stuff just comes up and just happens. You get to teach in that moment using those real life circumstances, and it's so much more powerful and memorable and impactful when it's sort of 
a real-life teaching moment rather than a little more sterile in the classroom. Not that there isn't a place for classroom teaching, but it comes so much more alive when it's all the more, in a sense, almost tangible before you, real-life circumstances. Uh, and so you, you get to be able to do that when you're associating in, in that discipleship relationship, when there's that life-on-life -life discipleship that's happening. In, in regard to scriptures, again, you see it all over the Gospels. It's just wherever Jesus is, the disciples are. It's quite clear that it's almost like 24-7 that they're just together. Uh, and as life happens, as things just come up, Jesus just teaches. He, just, he, he trains the disciples in everyday moments that happen. But we even see right at the outset, as Jesus calls the disciples, we see, in a sense, what this discipling relationship is going to look like and, and the profound association and sort of life-on-life -life aspect to this discipleship. And so I want to read for us here uh, a couple passages. They're both from the Gospel of Mark. The first is chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, and here's what it says. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, speaking of Jesus here, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now I'm going to fast forward just a little bit in Mark to chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Here's what it says. He, again, speaking of Jesus, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Well, you even think as Jesus calls the disciples, he doesn't say, come and show up at this place Wednesday nights, 7 to 9 p.m. We're going to have a class. It's going to be awesome discipleship. It's going to be great. But he says, no, come and follow me, right? This is what to be discipled was going to look like. They were just going to follow him wherever he went, 24-7. Wherever Jesus was, they were his disciples, and they were just going to follow him and be present. That, that was sort of fundamental and at the core of, of this discipling relationship, that they were just to be with him. That's what he says when he calls them, come follow me, come with me, be with me, and I will be, your, my, I will be your master, you will be my student, and I will train you every moment of every day as you're just sort of following very literally in my footsteps as you're present with me, I will be discipling you and training you. Now certainly also in that statement of follow me is the element of sort of be my follower in the sense of you're going to follow my teaching and so forth and so on. That's also present in that, but, but thoroughly present is sort of what the relationship would look like in a very literal sense of they're just going to follow him. Right? He walks by and he says, follow me, and that's what they were going to do. Very literally, wherever he went, they were going to be there. And he would be their master, he would disciple them, he would train them, and they would be his students, his disciples. That was just fundamental to that discipling relationship. It was to follow, it was to be present with, and as you're present with, with the discipler, with Jesus himself here, the master, there was going to be the discipling, the training, the teaching that would take place in that. Right? This association, it's just sort of fundamental to uh, the discipling relationship. 
And I'd say it is this association and profound association. You could look at this and say, you know, well, in our lives today, uh, can we really live out to the same extent what the disciples did with Jesus 24-7? You could say, you know, I, I have a job, you know, and I have other responsibilities. I can't be 24-7 with someone who's discipling me, or I can't disciple someone else and be with them 24-7. I understand that situations are a little different. But nonetheless, there needs to be a pro profound level of association and engagement in daily life. That is the standard uh, that Jesus set here, that, that there needs to be significant, profound, life-on-life -life engagement if we're really going to call this biblical discipleship. And I'd say that it's this association that probably most makes the American church sort of want to push back on real biblical discipleship. And in a sense, we've then said, because we don't like the idea of this profound association that's a part of biblical discipleship, let's replace it with other easier things, such as classes or small groups, something that I can sort of schedule at certain times. And yes, I'll have to be there for that time, but then the rest of my life can sort of be my time. I can do with it as I please. Because if you think of profound association, it, 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 it's demanding. It takes an awful lot. Even if it's not 24-7 like Jesus and the disciples literally all the time together, it, it, even still, any sort of profound association and engagement and life-on-life -life discipleship, it, 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 it's costly. It's demanding. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort and energy. And for many in the American church, I think the mindset is just sort of, that's too much. That's too high of a price. I don't have the time. I'm too busy. It's not enough of a priority. So I'll sort of pass on that version of discipleship, and I'll pick something else instead that I can do like a once-a-week, one- or two-hour thing. That I can do, but, but no more than that. And so I think in many ways it's this association that causes the American church to push back on biblical discipleship and settle for something less. Uh, another aspect of this association, if you just sort of think logically uh, about it, if you're going to be living daily life with people, if there's going to be this profound life-on-life -life engagement, the reality is they're going to see not just sort of the good side of you, the, the kind of facade that you put forth where it's like, I've got everything together, I'm a mature Christian, I, you know, I've, I've got things put together, yeah, I have my little sins, but, but no big deal, right? If you're going to really Really let someone into your life, whether you're discipling, whether you're being discipled, if you really let them into your life, they're not just going to see the good, they're going to see the ugly side of you as well, right? They're going to see all those sins that you don't want anyone to really know about, they're going to see it and awfully clearly. And I'd say that sort of vulnerability, that makes us uneasy. We don't like that sense, whether it's we're discipling or we're being discipled, either way, we don't want people to sort of see that other side of ourselves. And so we kind of push back and say, no, can I have a different version of discipleship where I don't have to really be vulnerable? I don't have to sort of let people in so that they can see that other side of me. And so we substitute, right? We sort of cast aside real discipleship and in its, in its place we substitute, well, a different version of we show up at a class or a small group. It's a little bit easier, not as vulnerable, not as demanding. It's just simpler. And so I think in many ways it's this association that has us sort of saying, mm, I don't want that kind kind of discipleship, and we settle for something less. Uh, another element, not just association, this sort of very much life-on-life -life aspect to discipleship, uh, but another element of discipleship that we see Jesus very much uh, exemplifying, and this really ties in a bit with association, is the idea of demonstration, right? That Jesus doesn't just teach with words. He doesn't just preach things and say, here's how it is, here's how you're supposed to live life, and tell them. But he models it, he shows it, he demonstrates it. And if you think about it, this can really only take place if there's association, 
right? You can't demonstrate things if you're not together with the person you're discipling. If you're not together, you can't show the way as in addition to sort of teaching the way. And if we think of Jesus, he demonstrated things. Yes, he taught with words to be sure, but then he also backed it up by his example and he demonstrated it as well. Uh, and just to highlight this, I want to turn to John chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. And this is Jesus here washing the disciples' feet, and, and here's what he says. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Right? He demonstrates it here. He doesn't just teach on the subject and say, hey, you should serve one another in humility and so go and do that. But no, what does he do? He demonstrates it. He goes and he actually washes their feet, this humble, lowly service that he renders to them. And really, it's even more symbolic of what he's about to do is he's about to go to the cross and in great humility, as he's hanging on a cross, make atonement for sin for all who would trust in him. That's the real humble service that he is pointing to, but certainly it's exemplified there and sort of foreshadowed in his washing of their feet. But what does he do? He demonstrates. He doesn't, he doesn't just say it with words, but rather he very much shows them. He demonstrates it and says, here's what I'm doing. I am in humility serving you, washing your feet. And what are you to do? My disciples. He said, follow my example. Go and do likewise, right? Humbly serve one another as well. Jesus demonstrates things. He doesn't just sort of teach on the subject, preach on it. And, and that's what real discipleship ought to look like, where the person who's discipling is not just preaching truth, it's not just sort of saying things, but then backs it up with his or her own life as well. Certainly, Jesus did it perfectly. We're going to do it imperfectly. We still have our shortcomings and our failures, but nonetheless, we ought to, to the best of our ability and with great faithfulness and maturity, be exemplifying all that we're preaching as well as we train and, and demonstrating it. And even as we think of the, the Great Commission uh, itself, uh, as we think of sort of uh, demonstrating things, right, let's go back to the Great Commission. What does Jesus do here, right? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As Jesus is giving this command, this great commission, again, it's not just something that he, he tells them to do, but it's something he has demonstrated. Again, sort of reinforcing this idea of demonstration. This isn't just sort of a matter of words, but for the last roughly three years, Jesus has been demonstrating day in and day out how to do this, right? He doesn't just sort of give them this command and say, hey, here's this great commission. You got to go and evangelize. You got to go and disciple. Hopefully you can kind of figure that all out and piece it together and do all right. No, he has been demonstrating what that looks like for roughly three years, Right? If you think about it, the whole of his ministry at the heart of it is, is evangelization, proclaiming the kingdom of God, the truth of the gospel, and, and discipling. And so the disciples here aren't sort of left on their own to, to go and live out this command that they have been given with words, but they realize there's been an example that has been set for them. Christ has demonstrated this each and every day. Again, and that's because of this profound association where there's just sort of life-on-life -life discipleship taking place where every day he's demonstrating how to live out the Great Commission. So then at the end, when he gives them the Great Commission, they know exactly what that looks like because they've seen it every single day of their lives under the discipleship of Christ. 
So we see association, we see demonstration. Uh, also what we see is an element, a core element of, of discipleship as modeled by Jesus is delegation, right? Uh, it, it ultimately, and this is something that I know for those who maybe are in a position of discipling can, be, can make one uneasy, the feeling of sort of having to delegate work, and uh, I can certainly be one who likes things sort of my way, my way's the right way, and this is how I want things done, and the idea of sort of putting that in someone else's hands and then they're going to run with it can be unsettling for, for certainly a lot of people, myself included, uh, and yet what did Jesus do? I, even in spite of all sorts, sorts of shortcomings and failures on the part of, of the disciples, he delegated work. That, that's just part of the training process. Yes, you teach things. Yes, you, you demonstrate. But at some point, you need to now go out and, and just sort of send them out and, and give them work to do and delegate. And that's part of the learning and training process, part of the, the discipleship process. And Jesus does that. And, and I want to turn to uh, a couple passages here just to highlight this. One of them is Matthew uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. And here's what it says. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus. And Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Right? Jesus invites them into his work. He, he delegates. It's not just that he does this. He certainly does everywhere he goes. But, but then there comes a time where, hey, it's time for you guys to go and take on some of this work. And so I'm going to delegate this work to you and give this work to you. This is what Jesus has been doing all over the place. So he's taught about it. He, he's modeled it. He's demonstrated it. And now it's time to say, hey, it's your turn to go out and do this and go to the lost of Israel and, and proclaim the truth of the gospel, the truth of the kingdom of God, and, and go and, and be healing the sick, casting out demons, and, and so forth. And so he invites them into his mission, and he delegates work. We see this elsewhere also in, in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Notice that, that Jesus here isn't doing the baptizing, but he's delegated this work to the disciples, right? He delegates work. They're the ones who are doing the baptizing. We see this all over the place where he gives the disciples work to do. Uh, he, he certainly uh, delegates work to them, and that's part of the training process. Right? It's not just sort of the teaching and, and you model it and you demonstrate it, but then there comes a time as well where you need to delegate it and you learn just through experience. Yes, there'll be successes at times, there'll be failures, but those are teaching opportunities and learning opportunities as well as a part of the discipleship process. And as these sort of go hand in hand, as delegation happens also, and this is another element that we see as part of uh, discipleship modeled by Jesus, there's also supervision. That It's not like he delegates this work and says, hey, here you go, disciples. I'm going to send you out or I'm going to have you baptized. I'm going to have you do all this work. And then it's sort of like they're left to their own devices. That's not the case, but rather there's supervision that happens in the midst of that delegation. And again, we see this. This is just sort of part of the training process of discipleship. We see this in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. 
So what has happened is Jesus has sent out, right, he sent out the 12 at one point. He's, at this point, he has sent out the 72, sort of a, a little bit of a larger but still sort of core group of disciples and followers. He sent out the 72 uh, to go and do work, just like in the passage we read about the 12, same type of work, go out, proclaim the kingdom of God and, and, and that, that it has drawn near and, and go and heal and, and cast out demons and so forth. And now they've come back. This is what says verse 17 here, Luke 10, 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And so this sort of, as they're coming back, the 72, and they're celebrating, man, we're casting out demons. They submit to us. This is, this is amazing. This is fantastic. And Jesus sort of joins them in that celebration. Yes, you've been given this authority and, and celebrated. It's wonderful. But there's also, as he's supervising this, he's delegating work, but he's also supervising. There's a little place of correction here as Jesus finishes this statement. Verse 20, he says, However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Yes, it's sort of a lesser joy that the spirits submit to you, you know, but, but that shouldn't be the core joy uh, that you ought to be having now. But he says, rather, your real joy should be that you, your names are written in heaven, that you belong to the Lord, that you have a place in eternity with him. That should be your fundamental joy. And so even here, as, as they're coming back from, from this, this mission that they've been given, work's been delegated to them, yet the, as they come back, this sort of the debrief, the regroup, and, and yes, the celebration of certain successes and, and, and sort of the power and authority over demons, but at the same time as Jesus is supervising here, there needs to be a little bit of correction or sort of uh, a right perspective that, yeah, you can celebrate this, but in a lesser way, because the real joy should be that your names are written in heaven, that you belong to the Lord. And so, yes, he, he delegates, but even as he delegates this supervision, and, and that is a biblical model, as, as Jesus exemplifies, of discipleship. Another element of discipleship is the idea of reproduction. Uh, I don't mean that in some sort of biological sense, but, but I mean that sort of in a spiritual, spiritual sense of disciples, the, the idea of discipleship is that ultimately ought, it ought to overflow and, and result in reproduction and multiplication, right? This was always Jesus's intent. Uh, I mean, just sort of think of, of the Great Commission. We're going to keep coming back to this, but Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and here's what it says. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus has discipled the disciples, the twelve, and these are the ones he's speaking to here. And yet, what was his picture of this discipleship? Uh, his picture of this discipleship, yes, for, for roughly three years he's been pouring into them, training them, maturing them, discipling them, but always the intent is now for there to be further replication, for there to be a further multiplication exponentially so, that now these disciples that he's now trained and matured in the faith, now what are they to do? They're to go out into the world, proclaim the gospel message so that there are new people who, who come to the Lord, who, who enter into his kingdom, and then they're to disciple those new converts and mature them into mature followers and disciples so that then they can go and do the same. Now that those new believers have, have come to faith and been matured in the faith, now they're equipped to go out and reach more people for the kingdom and disciple them so that they mature and are equipped to, again, go out, and this sort of goes on uh, you know, over and over again, that's sort of the natural cycle of discipleship is meant to be uh, reproduced 
productive uh, in nature, that it is meant to be multiplicative. Uh, that is sort of the very nature of it, that it isn't just sort of to, to uh, be the case where Jesus pours into the disciples and they grow and mature and it just sort of stays with them and that's the end of the story. But always the intent is as this discipleship is taking place, as they mature in the faith, now they're all the more equipped to go out and reproduce themselves, replicate themselves in others as they go and proclaim the gospel message, reach more people and mature them as they disciple them. And then those new converts can do the same and so forth and so on. And that this is really how the, the church boomed in, in the early days, the early church. That doesn't mean there weren't times when, when um, of course, many came to faith. You can think of Pentecost or whatnot, where sort of at, at preaching of, of one, one wonderful sermon or message, many come to faith. But sort of at the heart of the growth of the church is the church, early in the church, taking discipleship seriously and disciples just replicating themselves. As discipleship's happening, they're maturing in the faith, and now they're all the more equipped to go out and reach more people for the kingdom and mature them, and then those people are equipped to, and it just sort of uh, exponentially grows, and that this is really how the church grew from some sort of fringe movement, if you sort of think of it just from a secular perspective, some fringe movement on, on the edges of the Roman Empire to becoming the dominant world religion, right? Because discipleship was taken seriously. But I think, uh, sadly, I think the American church has lost sight of the importance of discipleship. And, and naturally, discipleship and evangelism go together, and that's what we sort of see here, that discipleship is meant to be uh, reproductive in nature. There's to be a reproduction, multiplication element of it. Uh, and so when discipleship is neglected, evangelism also suffers as well. And I think we see that in the Western church in many ways where discipleship in a biblical sense as modeled by Jesus has waned. And as a result, there's a struggle in evangelism as well because there aren't mature, that many mature believers to go out and reach people for God's kingdom. And I would say that, in fact, uh, discipleship is so major that it's really Jesus's chief uh, sort of strategy and method for evangelism and reaching the world for God's kingdom, right? Uh, uh, if you think about it, at the end of Jesus's ministry, you think of his earthly ministry, how many followers did he really have? Was his intent here in his earthly ministry, those three years uh, of sort of his public ministry, was his intent to reach a massive number of followers, a million people, but not really have much depth to that, that sort of spiritual life there, that they're just sort of a bunch of immature believers and they're not able to replicate themselves and share the faith and, and, and sort of grow the church, and then it just peters out. I would say that it wasn't his methodology, but rather his core methodology. While, yes, at times he preached to the masses, most fundamentally his core approach to ultimately reaching the world for his kingdom was pouring into, in a great and significant way, a small number of followers. Whether you want to think of the 12, you could even expand that into the 72 as well, but sort of those core followers of his, that was his fundamental approach to reaching the world with the gospel, was pour into a smaller number, really mature them, so that then they can continue on Christ's work after he's gone to the Father, and they can reach more people, who in turn can reach more people, and so forth and so on, and discipleship is at the heart of this evangelistic approach. And in fact, if we think about it, I'm going to read for us Acts chapter 1, verse 15. We realize that at the end of Jesus' ministry, after his death, his resurrection, how many faithful followers were there really? And we sort of see it in a sense here in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. It says, In those days, Peter stood up, stood up among the brothers. 
the company of persons was in all about 120. Now this was in the context of sort of replacing Judas, right? He betrayed the Lord, uh, and so now it's down to the 11, and so we have to replace him, and Matthias winds up being chosen. Uh, but what we see here is sort of the core of the brothers is just 120. Now I want to be fair, that doesn't mean that that was the whole number of all who were followers of Christ at that time, because Paul certainly mentions that at even just one time, the resurrected Lord Jesus appeared to over 500 of the brothers at just one time. So clearly there, was, there were more than 500 faithful followers of the Lord, whether that means there were six, seven, eight hundred, a thousand, maybe two thousand, probably you wouldn't go much more than that. Uh, but, but at the core, and that's what you see here, sort of this core group of the faithful, it, it's 120. It's not some large group. You think, you know, the whole area, Judea, you know, Galilee, the area of Palestine, it was just sort of all abuzz about this Jesus guy, and, and everyone was all about him. He was all the rage. They were going out to hear him preach, even out in the wilderness. You would think that after three years of that, you might have more than 120 core followers or a little over 500 or 1,000 who, who could really be called followers, and yet Jesus's, his plan was never to reach a million people in a shallow way initially, and then this sort of little ability for the church to continue on in a healthy way, but his approach was to reach a small number to prioritize discipleship and really pour into a small people, a small number of people in a significant way so that then they could do the same for another generation, for the next group of people. And then those people that they would reach would do the same and so forth and so on. And in that way, that was Christ's methodology. In that way, the whole world ultimately could be reached for God's kingdom. And discipleship is at the core of that. And so uh, certainly we have to emphasize as we think of discipleship, that there needs to be a sort of evangelistic side to it and sort of a view of it being reproductive in nature. That discipleship, the idea is not just, hey, I'm discipling you for your sake and your sake alone, but as you mature in the faith, as this discipling takes place, now there's an equipping to go and do evangelism and do it faithfully and reproduce and for more and more people to become more faithful followers and disciples of the Lord. And so there's very much a reproductive nature to discipleship as modeled by Christ. It was part of his plan from the beginning. Uh, one more element that I want to talk about, not that you couldn't go talking about many more, but I want to highlight one more point in this sermon, and it's that the discipleship of Jesus as he's discipling the disciples, uh, it is holistic in nature. And I think oftentimes as we think of uh, discipleship in the American church, it's sort of all too often one-sided. And it, it can be one-sided in different ways for different churches. Some churches might be very much uh, intellectual, and discipleship tends to be just about uh, understanding more and more facts of the faith. Uh, other churches might be more all about sort of the, 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 the actions and the works that we need to, to do all sorts of actions and deeds to help our neighbor and so forth and so on. But, but there isn't sort of the mind and intellect behind that and an understanding, a full understanding of the truth of God's word. Uh, maybe there's a heart that's present in those works or maybe it's just going through the motions. Uh, oftentimes I think for churches when it comes to discipleship, it may deal with uh, sort of certain elements of what it is to follow Christ and be faithful to him, but not holistic of all that it is that we're called to as followers of the Lord, of, uh, as disciples of Christ. And so I'd say oftentimes in churches, discipleship is one-sided, but it really needs to be holistic. It needs to address sort of the mind, the heart, the hands, sort of the intellect, sort of the heart, the emotions, the core of a person, but also the actions. It needs to involve and engage the whole of the person and be holistic in that sense. Uh, it also needs to be holistic in the sense of speaking to 
all of what it is to follow Christ faithfully, not just uh, certain issues that, that maybe you want to particularly emphasize in a church or what sort of comes naturally, but sort of all of what we're called to as followers of Christ and, and living faithfully unto Him in godly lives needs to speak to the totality of that. And we see Jesus exemplifying this holistic nature of, of discipleship. And we see it, I want to read first for us Matthew chapter 5, and this is verses 21 and 22, and I'll read it for us. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, and that means sort of loosely translated fool. It literally means sort of empty one, kind of like empty-headed. you got nothing up in there in your brain. You know, you're, you're, you're a numbskull. You're a fool. You're an idiot. Uh, anyone who says to a brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And so here you see just in this, these couple verses sort of the holistic teaching of Jesus in regard to sort of head, heart, hands. Uh, certainly he's dealing with, with the mind and, and helping to explain, hey, you guys have this sense of, of outward actions being sin. If someone goes and they murder, that's a sin and they're, they're, they're sort of liable to judgment. But, but you've lost sight of the fact that even the heart attitude behind that action of murder, that sort of hateful anger and rage behind that that drives one to murder, that's sin as well. And so this intellectual teaching here, for those he's, he's speaking to here, which is the disciples at first, but then the crowds kind of gather around. And so he's saying, you know, sin isn't just sort of the outward action, but even what's in the heart is sin. If you have this hateful anger and rage toward your brother or sister, that's sin as well. And so this intellectual teaching there to help them understand that reality, but he's also very much speaking to the heart uh, as well, and, and not just sort of dealing with matters of the heart, sort of anger in the heart, uh, but also sort of speaking to people's hearts, and, and his goal is clearly for those he's speaking to, to in a sense sort of be cut to the heart as they're hearing this message that he's preaching on. That, that they would, as he's saying this, as he's teaching on this, that they would realize, you know, I, I, I'm like that. I, I have hateful anger in my heart toward maybe a, a friend or a former friend and maybe not anymore a friend or, or maybe toward a, a neighbor or toward a family member and, and that, that describes me and I never thought that I was sinful because of that because at least I wasn't murdering or doing those outward actions but now I realize that is sin in, in my heart and, and sort of to be cut to the heart and, and to respond with, with repentance over that sin, right? That, that's sort of Jesus' intent here, not just sort of speaking to the mind, the intellect to understand the truth but also sort of speaking to the heart so that they'd be cut to the heart over sin within them and repent of it. But not only that, he speaks to actions as well, and not just the action of murder that can flow out of that sort of heart attitude of this hateful anger, but even other actions that might be less than murder, but still uh, sinful actions of sort of lashing out in anger and calling someone a fool, an idiot, that sort of a thing. He's saying that type of action flowing out of that heart is also sin. And so he, here in just two verses, right, he's speaking to the head, the heart, the hands, the whole of the person. Uh, it's very much holistic teaching. It's not just about the mind or not just about the heart or not just about the actions, but he speaks to all of it together, even in just two verses. We also see the holistic nature of Jesus' uh, discipling in the sense of speaking to all of what it is to follow Christ. And again, we see this. We're going to turn back uh, to the Great Commission. Certainly exemplified this in his own life as he discipled, but even as he sort of uh, passes the torch in some sense to the disciples to go out and 
make disciples of all nations as he gives them this great commission, right? He speaks to the holistic nature of discipleship and says that, you know, in regard to discipleship, you can't just be teaching part of what it is to be a follower of Christ and obey him, but you have to speak to all of what it is. And he says here, right, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? Not, hey, th this is your mission as you go out and you evangelize and then you disciple people. As you're discipling, you, you, this commissioning upon you that Christ gives, he's saying it's, it's not like teach them to observe some of what I have commanded, uh, just sort of a partial teaching. But no, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, right? There's a holistic nature. It incorporates all of it. All of what it is to be a follower of Christ, to live a godly life, teach them that. Teach them the whole of, of what it is to observe all that I have commanded you, right? So there's a holistic nature to discipleship. And all too often, discipleship can sort of be one-sided, uh, leaning towards one element and not sort of the other. Uh, and so very much discipleship, as modeled by Christ, is holistic in its nature. So just sort of to recap, as we think about it, uh, discipleship, uh, it's, it, it involves, as modeled by Christ, looking at sort of the biblical example of discipleship, which all too often I think the church fails to live out, but looking at Christ's example, uh, it involves association, demonstration, delegation, supervision, reproduction, and, and it's holistic in nature. And again, you could go on and on talking about all sorts of other elements and characteristics of discipleship as modeled by Christ, but I wanted to at least highlight those and, and sort of now kind of to move on to application and say, well, so what's, what's our takeaway? And, and sort of to put it simply, it's, well, let's take discipleship seriously. Let's sort of recognize the American church's failure in regard to discipleship, that we've sort of replaced real biblical discipleship with something that's far less than. It's easier, it's more comfortable, and that's why we've sort of replaced real discipleship with it, but it's not really doing the job. It's not really uh, accomplishing what God intends, what Christ intends in real discipleship, maturing the body of believers. And so let's say, hey, we need to take discipleship seriously, and that means what? It's going to mean for those of us who are mature, and if God's calling us to do this, to disciple others. Uh, if for, for others, it's going to mean being discipled, and for, for plenty, it may mean both. It doesn't mean you can only do one or the other. You can either disciple or you can be discipled, but it can be both. You can have sufficient Christian matur maturity that God's calling you to, to disciple someone else and, and sort of pour into them, uh, you know, all of the Christian maturity that you've been blessed with and just sort of to teach and train, but also realizing, hey, I, I haven't arrived yet. I have an awful lot of growth, and, and to say, I need to be discipled as well, and so it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both. But to say, let's take discipleship seriously. Let's be discipled. Let's disciple others. Now, you might say, you know, that association thing, Pastor Steve, I'm still a little concerned about that. It sounds awfully demanding. And, and that level of vulnerability, I, I'm just not comfortable with that. I'd say we can, we can sort of work our way up to the biblical model. You don't have to necessarily jump in head first. But even if you're a little hesitant, it's like, you know, work's demanding and home life. And do I really have time for this? I'd say even if you're not ready to step in fully, at least take beginning steps toward discipling and being discipled and really making this a priority. And let's say, let's live this out 
at New Hope Chapel. And I want to give another specific application, and it's this. This is something that I've been talking about with the elders, and we really want to prioritize discipleship here. And also, understanding our struggles with evangelism as a church, recognizing, too, as we talked about, that they naturally go hand in hand. All too often, we sort of think of discipleship and evangelism as though they're opposites, in a sense. One sort of within the church, the other's outreach. But they naturally flow together, recognizing that, hey, faithful discipleship naturally, as you mature believers, it over flows in evangelism, and we've struggled with evangelism to say we want to prioritize discipleship just because on the one hand, yes, we want to see maturity within the body of Christ and see, see people mature and be further, further edified, but also we want to be all the more equipped to, to reach out with the truth of the gospel and carry out faithful and fruitful evangelism. And so this is something that we want to prioritize, the elders and myself at New Hope Chapel, and we're sort of thinking through all of the specifics of what, what might this look like here. Certainly it's going to be following Christ's example in, in regard to discipleship, but just even thinking more specifically than that, how would we run it? How would we pull this off and so forth? And as we're thinking through this and wanting to move forward and be a little more specific in our plan, I want to have a sense of people desiring this. And so I would love for people in the church, whether you're here right now, whether you're watching from home, to reach out to me, whether that's like in person, you can let me know after the service, whether it's like shoot me an email, give me a phone call, send me a text, however you want to reach out to me, that's fine. But let me know if you might be interested. You don't have to think like you're signing up for this now and sort of like now you're committing, but if you're just even in any way, even if you're still on the fence, uh, interested in some sort of serious and intentional discipleship, whether that's discipling someone else, whether that's being discipled, maybe it's, it's both at the same time, saying, hey, I think I can disciple, but I, I want to be discipled as well. Let me know, and let me know specifically whether it's being discipled or, or discipling someone else or both. Let me know that you're at least interested in considering it, and I, I hope that there's an outpouring of interest and people are saying, hey, I, 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 I want to take this seriously. I, I'd love to be a part of this, uh, whether being discipled, discipling, and I, uh, hopefully we'll get a great outpouring of response and people would really be interested. And that's just reinforcement then for me and for the elders to say we need to move forward and, and take this seriously and, and be more intentional in regard to discipleship rather than just sort of hoping that it happens among the body of believers here. So that's our last application, right? First of all, do it. Disciple, be disciple, take discipleship seriously, but also please reach out to me. Let me know if you would be interested in any sort of intentional discipleship. Uh, and now let's close this message with a word of prayer. Lord God, Lord Jesus, thank you for your example in regard to discipleship. It's all too easy for us to stray and, and water down what real discipleship is, and yet right before us in your word, we have the perfect example of what it is to disciple, what that looks like. And it's your example, Lord Jesus, and may we see it May we say that's what we need in our lives, in our church. And I don't mean just New Hope Chapel, but the church in our country and all across the globe. We need that real, faithful, biblical discipleship as modeled by you. That the church might grow and be strengthened and edified. And, and as the church matures all over the face of the earth, then this further equipping to go out and, and replicate and reach more people for the kingdom and, and disciple them so that then they can go out and do the same and reach more people. Lord. And so we pray, Lord, we first thank you just for your example. And we pray that your church everywhere would take discipleship seriously, Lord. And specifically here at New Hope Chapel, may there just be an outpouring of interest in saying, yes, I want to be discipled or I want to disciple with great intentionality 
because it's what you have called us to do, what you've called your church to do and to take seriously, that the church might be edified and grow in depth and number as well, Lord, as it overflows in evangelism. And may you just work in us and through us, Lord, as we seek to be intentional in discipleship. May you be at work in that discipleship process, growing and maturing us, molding us ever increasingly into your likeness, Lord Jesus, that we might all the more glorify you in our lives, and that we might all the more faithfully reach out with the truth of the gospel for you, for your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.